What's good? What's good, people? Welcome to Candid Conversations. I am Candia Johnson. How are you today? I hope you are protecting your magic by any means necessary. Friendly reminder, not everyone who desires access to your life or your energy deserves it. So you have to protect those things by any means necessary. Anywho, you know, when I first started thinking about relaunching the Candid Conversations podcast, Minda Hearts was hands down one of the very first people that I absolutely needed to interview. Primarily because when I think about confidently owning your voice and using your story to not only create opportunities for yourself, but others as well, Minda is one of the first people I think about. She's very outspoken when it comes, I would consider her a leading voice when it comes to talking about the trauma, racism, and microaggressions, and bias that not only she has faced, but many Black women around the world face in the workplace. And that takes a hell of a lot of courage. It's easy to stand in a group and harder to stand alone. And the fact of the matter is, for me and for many others, prior to Minda Hart's platform, The Memo, now she has a best-selling book. I can't think of a space that existed for Black women in the workplace to talk about the inequities as well as the emotional tax that we carry into the workplace every day. So when you consider a few facts, when you consider uh, the fact that Women of color are not only significantly underrepresented, they are far less likely than others to be promoted to manager. Um, They are more likely to face everyday discrimination and less support from their managers at work. This is according to a 2018 Women in the Workplace survey. When you consider the fact that Black women are the most educated demographic, yet we earn less money at work, particularly less than our white male counterparts. When we look at C-suite leaders, 21% are women and just 1% are black women. And even if we flip the script a bit and go into the venture capital industry, black women, black women entrepreneurs, black women founders are also left behind. In fact, I read uh, in 2017, out of $85 billion in VC funding, only 2.2% went to female founders. And every year after that, women of color got less than 1% of the total funding. Racism and bias are at the root of these issues that many Black women, women of color, we face every single day. So when you think about many of us wake up every day in the simplest way I can explain it to you, many of us wake up every day with concerns about wearing our natural hair style to work. Is someone going to judge us? Is someone going to discriminate against us? Uh, When it comes to our name, should we shorten our name? That's a, a, a conversation that Minda and I had. Should we shorten our name to make it easier for people or we don't want to be discriminated against? What should we do? So, so so from feeling like an outsider to the invisible weight that we carry each and every day, it takes a hell of a lot of courage to talk about these types of issues and better yet, build a platform around it. 
So I've watched Menda create this amazing space for women to not only share their stories and show up authentically as themselves, but she's also delivered workshops and events which give women actionable career tips and advice for navigating these spaces and ultimately securing their seat at the table. So now Menda has not only launched a best-selling book, she's landed another book deal. She's been invited by major brands to speak on stages for Facebook, Bloomberg, Google, Time Incorporated. She's been featured in Ford, CNBC, Fast Company, The Washington Post. And I really wanted to do this interview to talk about what it takes to stand alone. What does it take to build a platform where at times you're going to be met with dead silence? What does it take to face rejection after rejection? Because believe it or not, Menda's book idea was rejected by four different book publishers. What happens when you are in the midst of launching something in your career or your business, and then you're faced with a personal storm in your life? What's the mindset that helps you get through those moments? These are the things that Menda and I are talking about today, and I really hope that it gives you the inspiration to keep sharing your work and showing up for yourself. Listen and let me know what you think. Much. Hi, Minda. Hi, Kendia. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Well, uh, my name is Minda Hartz, and I came out with a book several months ago called The Memo, What Women of Color Need to Know to Secure a Seat at the Table. I also have a company with the same name, The Memo LLC, And I have a podcast called Secure the Seat. And I am a part-time professor at NYU Wagner. So all the things. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, first off, before we even get into it, let me just tell y'all, I have to thank Minda because Minda is one of the most supportive people that I've never met in real life. I (laughs) believe we connected on Twitter. Is that correct? That is correct. You yeah, are, we, yeah. we, we made our relationship on Twitter, Twitter friends. <laughs> Twitter friends. I'm going to speak it into existence that we'll meet in person this year. Amen. But when we talk about support, I mean, from sharing, you know, her work and she shares my work. Uh, also, Minda has had me as a guest on her podcast. Uh, we've done a webinar together. And so if anything, I just want to say thank you because As you stated before this call, it's hard out here (laughs) to level up alone. In fact, I don't really think you can level up alone. That's a, that's a word right there, girl. Uh, You can't level up alone. alone. That's real. So let's get into this book. Now I'm going to tell you the truth. There were three chapters that really resonated with me. Building your squad, Uh, Everyone can be a golden girl, primarily because I believe that the girl Carrie was related to a toxic woman that I used to work with. And I used to say that same God grant me the serenity prayer before I went into the office. So I really felt that part of the book and my soul. Mm -hmm. But I really uh, the, the chapter that I really wanted to focus on was the Empire State of Mind chapter, primarily because I believe that some of the most successful skills that we need to succeed in this lifetime are not taught in school. 
And so I just want to know when we're talking about like self-doubt, dealing with rejection, managing uh, the negative thoughts in our head and, 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 and even imposter syndrome, what was the defining moment that helped you get out of your own way to even start talking about things like microaggressions and racism and, and things that you were experiencing in the workplace, where did that come from? Was there a defining moment and you just said, I'm just going to start talking about it? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really stemmed from the chapter, Everyone Can't Be a Golden Girl with my um, workplace oppressor, Carrie and friends. Uh, that was, I just realized, man, if I'm going through this, how many other Black women, women of color are going through the same thing and being in isolation. And and at that time, Candia, I was so fragile and so broken on the inside, but I had not articulated that to anyone uh, in my social circle because I didn't want to be seen as not being strong, right? Making it work. And so I held all this, um, this hurt in, essentially. And I realized that I'm doing myself a disservice, A, and I'm doing the next generation and current generations, B, if I don't talk about this, because if if I'm going through it and someone else is going through it, then we can redefine uh, the workplace for us and make it better if we're talking about it. And so I leaned into my courage, if you will, and said, you know, these, these things need to be talked about because oftentimes we're talking about them behind the scenes at brunch and different things, but we're not talking about them on the forefront. And so I, I felt like it was time that uh, we give ourselves permission to not care what others might say, uh, because this is important for our over, overall career health. Okay. So how did you, now was there a specific place that you started uh, to talk about some of the toxicity that you were experiencing in the workplace? Was it an event that you held? Was it primarily online? Where was the place that you chose to start talking about these things? Yes, I chose to start talking about this uh, in the fall of 2015. And that was when I created my company, The Memo. And initially, it was just a blog. I bought a domain and I, myweeklymemo.com. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start talking just every Monday. I'm going to put out a, a Monday memo about some of the things that I'm dealing with. I was still in my day job. And I'm just going to talk about these things. And maybe this will give a little, obviously, therapy for me, but then it will give you know, others, the opportunity to also share. And that's where it began. And the more I started to, and I have not missed a Monday since 2015 and every day or every Monday I put that out there. And that was the impetus, right? The more people started finding it and reading it and hearing the me too's, I'm like, wow, this is a lot bigger than, than I thought it was and uh, of an issue. And so that was where I just continued to iterate on that idea. Oh, wow. That's amazing. You know, when I think about that, I also think about as you were sharing, did you have moments because uh, moments of silence or moments of uh, second guessing yourself because you didn't feel like you were getting the response that you wanted to get or uh, people weren't really resonating at first? Did you have any of those moments? I did. I, I definitely did because for a long time I might have just been writing that memo for myself, <laughs> but it was, it was one of those things where I felt like the consistency, like continuously doing this and the people that were reading it, it was helping them. And I'm a big believer in if you help one other person see themselves in a different way or change the way that they move, 
then I've been successful. And for me, that was, I never really intended it for me to leave my day job and do this full time or write books or do podcasting. It really was just to try to leave the workplace a little bit better than I found it. So what was the moment then that you said to yourself, oh, I could probably leave my workplace over this (laughs) and do Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, several times wanting to stop uh, because at the time I wasn't sure how to monetize that. Right. And so it was four years later, four years of Monday memos before I was able to leave my day job. And so um, you don't realize it's just that point in time in 2015, it wasn't, Yes, women of color were going through um, systemic issues at work, no doubt. They, we have been for a long time. But I think the, the, the change in that was during the next presidency. I think that people were a little feeling like we need to be speaking out on certain things a little bit more. And that's when I was able to see kind of a shift in the business model and, and companies asking me to come in. And so seeing that this diversity um, inclusion and equity, belonging, all of those things were starting to be more of a real conversational topic. And so it was really just um, God and timing, because I think about it, even this morning, I woke up and I said, what if you would have stopped, Minda? And there were days, years, I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Let me just do this nine to five and and keep it moving. But um, that resilience piece and and knowing that once you step into your purpose, that um, everything will work itself out, but it, it takes some time, some time. <laughs> right. Now, what I found interesting in the book is you actually gave people, because your real name is Yasminda, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you decided to shorten your name primarily to make people comfortable because you've seen that they uh, kind of stumbled over pronouncing your name at first. Yes. Given that opportunity, would you do that again? What would you, because of course I have the same name, I, my, the same uh, problem. My name is Candy. <laughs> and so I get the stares and the stumbles and can I call you Candy? That sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. D- did you allow Candy? I have to ask. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay. I did not. My, now my dad's mom, God rest her soul, she, she calls me and my dad's side primarily, they say Candy. They're I'm kind of low-key still afraid of them. So (laughs) I will never tell them that they can't, you know, not call me candy. But strangers, coworkers, no, I never allowed that. But looking back, would you make that same decision? If I had to do it all over again, I would have used Yasminda because I realized that, you know, that's the first piece of ownership that we're given uh, our names uh, as young as young little girls, and so I wish that I would have had the mindset, had the support, had the understanding to be able, the courage to to say no, Yasminda. If you can say Dikembe Matumbo, you can say Yasminda. <laughs> you know. Right. So, um, but I wish that I would have done that, and that's something that when I'm speaking at HBCUs, one of the main questions that I get asked is should I use my real name? And it pains me to hear that that's a question that even in, you know, 2020 that young adults are asking themselves. And I said, you go into that job using the name you want to be called, (laughs) you know, everybody will adjust. And so if you don't, if you want to shorten it, let it be your decision. Right. Now, Minda, you are a first generation college student in your family, right? Yes. Do you think what role, if any, did that play in, 
Because I know for me, sometimes I'm not a first generation college student in my family. However, I do believe that, you know, I was kind of given this one track, uh, one path for success. And so I probably stayed in places too long (laughs) that mistreated (laughs) me because of that one path. So because you are a first generation college student, you probably didn't have um, someone who kind of challenged the status quo, you know, as a representative or as a mentor. Do you think that had something to do with, you know, giving people permission to kind of, you know, shorten your name and staying hidden or not using your voice in the workplace? Yeah, I, if I'm being honest, I think it probably does have, um, did have an effect on that because I think for me getting out there, being the first one going into corporate America in my household as well, it was one of those things where you got this good job, you just keep your head down and, you know, don't make any waves. And I think many of us have been told that. And, um, and you take that to heart, right? You're like, let me work hard and just keep my head down. And I think, uh, to some degree that, that hurts us along the way because we lose our sense of identity, many of us. And so I wish that, um, doing it all, I wish that I would have had some of that mentorship, um, early on, or at least access to, to using my voice in a way that um, was beneficial to me, but it was one of those things that I'm just glad I found along the way. And I, and I, and it was really important for me to write a book like this because I thought about the person I was at 18 and what I needed to hear. And so I, I wanted the next generation to have that information, even if they may not be able to get that from home or wherever. And that's actually one of the things that I love about your book. I feel like it's the perfect blend of storytelling and actionable advice. One of the things that you say often is success is not a a solo sport. Talk about your top eight uh, recommendation for kind of like building relationships and networking and and that sort of thing. Yes, those top eight. Um, You know, (laughs) it's so important to have a squad, just have people who you're supporting and they're supporting you. And I found that in my career, even as an entrepreneur, having people that you're not just an island, right? You know, a lot of people like to say, oh, I'm self-made or I'm man-made or whatever, but it really does take people investing in what you're doing and likewise. And so for me, once I kind of stopped keeping my head down and started to look around the office and see that there were all these other dynamics going on while I'm sitting in my queue, I realized that I needed other people to help get me to my next place in the, in the organization. And so I used um, peer mentorship, people I worked with alongside, but then I also looked at administrative assistance to be helpful. I looked at um, people in human resources. I obviously, if you have a good manager, then you use that as a person, but thinking about all the people that can help you exponentially get, move your career faster. And you, it's really hard sometimes to do that alone. And so I encourage people to seek out their, some call it a board of directors, some call it a bench, but get a team inside and out that you invest your time in getting to know because you're not going to get to know who's for you or who's against you just passing them on the way to get printer paper out of the copy machine, right? You got to spend some time with people and I think you'll find your people, you'll find your tribe that way. Mm-hmm. So, Looking at, uh, since you decided, uh, what has it been since 2015 when you started your company, correct? Yes. What's the habit, routine, or the practice that you believe has contributed to 
your success at this moment. You have a best-selling book. You're listen. I know you on and off planes, girl. I lovingly talk to you <laughs> online on Twitter. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's really consistency, uh, I would say, because even when I had a mailing list of ten people, I was consistent. When the mailing list grew to fifty, I was consistent and beyond. And so I think that consistency, even on Twitter, when I had a hundred followers, right, I was consistent. And I think that um, consistency mixed with, obviously, faith and action. So I continued to do the work, even if I was um, speaking or talking to 10,000 people, right? I I treat it as everything counts and leave nothing behind. And so I've always kept that mindset when I was in corporate America and as an entrepreneur. And that is what has kept me on the the path toward uh, my goals. And so I... I would just encourage people, just don't stop. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Now, is there any specific uh, routine? Do you like batch process stuff that you use to be consistent week by week by week by week? I do. Uh, so I do use <clears throat> um, some of the, the batching systems uh, to I'll put out an editorial calendar and I have a co-founder, uh, Lauren, and so we work together to make that happen. So like right now I was on a plane uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. I sent out the next three months of our editorial calendar. And so then we know what's happening and then we auto set it so that every Monday it goes out. And, and so that takes a little bit off our plate. And one other thing that I would say is once we started the, the newsletter from there, we built out um, by listening and hearing what our community wanted. And then we started career boot camps, and then we, grew to um, an annual awards event for women of color in business. And so you'll realize that um, you just keep going, right? And and you can start small and and you can be niche. When I first started, people said it's too niche. And um, that niche has gotten me a best-selling book (laughs) amongst other things. But so you definitely have to have, back to what you said earlier, that empire state of mind. When people are trying to bring you down or tell you something won't work, that you just keep being um, consistent and you find your top eight and you keep pushing forward. Now, speaking of that, you were also told that there wasn't a market for your book by a publisher, correct? By four publishers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. By four. Uh, There's five major publishers. Four of them said there's no audience for a book like this. And so what do you tell yourself when you experience rejection after rejection, what is it that you say or what is it that you do to just keep plugging along? What kind of fueled you to keep to keep going? Yeah, it's hard to. I'll be honest with you. The first one, it stung. The second one, it hurt. <laughs> the third one was like a, a sucker punch right? <laughs> and just kept. But I realized that... My, these stories still need to be told. So even if they don't believe that these things are happening or that there's an audience that I know because it's happened to me. And so I just often think of not to get too spiritual, but one scripture that I always hold really dear to me is um, for, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. And I always remind myself of that. So even when I get a no, I know that maybe that's not the right opportunity, but I still know that God has plans to prosper me and what I'm doing And so I just keep that in the forefront. 
and eventually everything will line up the way that it's supposed to. Mm. Mm, I love that. Now I'm all for uh, a show up anyway moment. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> there's a storm brewing in your personal life or, uh, you know, in your health or spirituality, and you have to show up anyway. Tell us about a time when you were going through something and you still had to show up and deliver with the best that you had. Wow, I love that question. Yeah, um, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was writing the book, uh, I had had three surgeries. I was going through some real health issues, and um, I didn't know, really, I had to stay faithful and know that again, I, I know the plans I have for you. And I was going through these surgeries and, um, the day before my final, um, draft of my book was supposed to be submitted to the publisher. I had a major surgery and I literally went back to, I had to fly out to LA to get it done. And my mom met me out there and we're sitting in the hotel room where I'm just after I'd been uh, released and I had to still get this thing done. And she's like, Linda, don't do it. Don't push yourself. And I'm like, I have to, (laughs) I'm like, people are counting on this book. I'm counting on this book. And I had to show up anyway. And I just asked for that strength to keep going. And uh, literally um, 10 hours after surgery, I was submitting my final draft. And maybe that might sound a little crazy, but when you realize that this thing is bigger than just me, like, I don't know, what was going to happen after that. But I knew that there were a generation of women of color that needed to get this book and I had to show up anyway. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I feel like so many times I meet, particularly when I'm doing a workshop, I meet women and men, of course, who are facing some, you know, unimaginable things and everyone's experience is different. But I believe when you're in that storm, you think that or you watch people like yourself who are doing amazing things and you just assume that their life is, is, you know, totally fine. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I always ask that question because I want people to know that everyone is probably dealing with something you have no clue. Um, and it's just about using what you have to continue to push forward. Even if it's not as, you know, hard as you would like to go, still choosing the effort or the energy that you do have to push forward. Yep. And you, and you have to, or I think that's part of some of us are, are wired that way. And, and I think it's easy to see people on social and, you know, tweeting and all these sorts of things. But like you said, there's always something going on behind the scenes. Right. Right. So every next level of success will require a different you, right? What mm-hmm. do you believe is an area of growth for you going into kind of like your next chapter uh, moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. I've really been thinking a lot about that this month, just like, you know, what it, what do I need in my toolkit to to move forward? And And for me, it's I've been investing in taking certain courses. Uh, one in particular is data science. I started taking this data science course online because I realized that a lot of uh, where we're headed, we need to understand the the data behind things and, and how to slice it and how to dice it. And for me, I have the unique opportunity to get a lot of data on women of color and black women with the book, with the platform. And I want to be able to use that in a way that's beneficial to us, but I also want to know what I'm doing and what this data means. And so I'm getting my scientist hat on, uh, anthropology hat on and and making sure that I can 
also produce the data that we need for us by us. So I feel like I'm thinking a little bit more holistically about some of the the offerings that I have, and it's not just um, the soft skills, but also the uh, the data and the history, the storytelling that we'll need to catapult us forward as well. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Um, I believe that it says a lot about just always being open to lifelong learning. You know, particularly, I feel like in our culture, we we adopt this mindset that after you graduate high school or college, like everything stops. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, it's equally important to continue to invest in yourself. I know you talk a lot about that in your book as well. Yes. So what else are you speaking into existence for yourself this year? You know, I'm living on, I'm living on the edge, Candy. I am all about scaring myself in 2020. <laughs> I'm just going I like, full full out. And so the the next phase, uh, I definitely have some more books in me, but I also want to start to get into more like multimedia and storytelling mm-hmm. on online in terms of video and, and not necessarily with myself as the forefront, but telling other stories and, and finding those platforms to be able to do some documentaries and things of the sort. So I'm, I'm putting that out in the atmosphere and hopefully uh, it will manifest itself in some way this yes, year. We're going to speak on that. Cause I'm going <laughs> to that. I mean, how many book tour, how many uh, destinations have you been so far? Mindy? Like you've been killing it since what? October, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I ended up clocking 28 cities. Um, I think that my last city was December 17th. And so I had a little time to rest and now I'm back out on the road. Uh, the second wave of people are finding the book. And, and so, um, a lot of what I'm doing now is going inside of companies and doing the book talk there, which I think is really important because a lot of the people that are causing some of these issues for us need to hear about the memo, need to know what's up. And so, um, that's where I'm headed. Uh, that's, I'll be on the road pretty much through October of 2020, God willing. So. Okay. I love it. So what do you believe you've been most surprised by? Cause you, you're meeting many different people. I mean, you were at Facebook, you've been at, you know, nonprofit organizations, you've been all over the place. What do you believe is the thing that surprised you the most? Yeah, you know, I think I was surprised. um, And going back to kind of that mindset is that the book is doing so well, even though I did what Toni Morrison told us, write the book you want to read. I, I didn't know because I wasn't famous because I didn't have the blue check mark. You know, I didn't know if it would really get the reach and get in the hands of, you know, women that I hoped that, that it would. And so I've been very surprised by how, the word of mouth, just the organic nature of women telling women, reading it and posting it. And I'm just so humbled and grateful that people see, I wrote a book that I wanted us to be able to see ourselves in and for others to see themselves in me has been uh, really surprising because I I just didn't expect that. But then the other thing is um, companies, I know that (laughs) talking about race is, has tends to be a little taboo. And so I'm really surprised by some of the companies that have brought me in to say, let's talk about it, right? Things aren't perfect here, but we got to talk about it. And so, um, and even places like if you've read the memo, you know, I was a little critical of lean in and, and to be invited to Facebook says a lot. You know? <laughs> and so um, I, I've definitely been surprised by the places that have invited me to come and talk about it. 
Right. And and I can't say enough about how happy, how proud I am of you, how much I thank you for leading the charge, particularly I, so I'm an audible person, right? And so I purchased your book on audible, but for me, I had to go to Barnes and Noble and buy it as well because I used to go buy business books and there's really not a lot, if any, business books by black women or black men. Mm-hmm. business books in that section. And so I was so proud when I went and they, you know, I seen the girl with the Afro. I said, that's <laughs> <laughs> And so, it, you know, I can't thank you enough. First off, thank you for being on my, my podcast and thanking you for being the revolutionary we need in the workplace and beyond and giving women, uh, uh, a true representation of what it means to use your voice and stand in your truth. I appreciate you. And I have to tell you something really quick. Sure. Uh, the Afro with the, with the girl on it in one city I was in, I had a, I'll call, say a grandmother. She came up to me and she said, is that a picture of my, of my uh, grandchild? Is that her on the cover? I'm like, I, I don't think so, but <laughs> just say, she's like, it looks just like the back of her head. I'm like, it's stock photography, <laughs> but it can't be yours. So yeah, I just had to insert that. But thank you for, for your support as well. I love it. Okay, thank you, Minda.